good afternoon. The panel are international loving and company, and thank you for your feedback, particularly around the southern. Gosh, lots on that more uh, on that later. Uh, to this first, though, just a response here: the Mama Hooch case has been dragged out for almost five years, and just a few minutes ago, the sentencing. Two brothers who drugged and committed sexual offences against 23 young patrons at Christchurch Bar, Mama Hooch, have been given substantial sentences. Roberto Jazz, 38, has been given 17 years in prison with a minimum non-parole period of 8.5 years. Danny Jazz, 40, has been given 16 and a half years with no parole available until at least eight years have been served. Um, Ellie Jones, a comment on this. You're in Ototahi Christchurch. Your thoughts, how has uh, the community there reacted? Oh, I, there aren't words, yeah. really. I, I, I just get really upset thinking about it. And the reason I think I get so upset about it is that our daughter's now 24. She would have been... Uh, you know, in this in this cohort of young women, um, she wasn't a big socialiser and sort of going out to those kinds of bars. They couldn't afford it, to be frank. But uh, you know, when I realised actually, and that's I guess it is all about me. But you do look at it how it could or does affect you directly. The thought that she could have been caught up in that just ripped my heart out. And then looking and hearing from some of those young women, I mean. New Zealand's got an appalling sexual violence rate. We know that. And that stuff, and that was the other thing, and people are talking about this, that stuff went on at Mama Hooch for years. This case went on for months before we even knew what was going on. And the issue is that these kind of sex offenders like the Jazz Brothers, they, they rely on secrecy. Right, they rely on that kind of that embarrassing. Let's you know, young women not wanting to say anything. Now, if we all start talking about it and stop shaming women who speak up about this sort of thing, then we take that secrecy, that fear of secrecy and shame away. And uh, look, if it's got more people talking about it now, and it's empowering young women, particularly, to stand up uh, and be strong, mm. and other women support them, then. Well, I won't say it's been worth it, but gosh, we, we at least achieve something out of this, don't we? I just see just now, David Slack, Detective Inspector Scott Anderson in a statement acknowledged the victims who bravely went to police saying, quote, because of their courage, they have made our community a safer place. So uh, uh, words well spoken from uh, Inspector Anderson there. Well, yeah, that's heartening that you do keep hearing from young women that they oh, – sorry, that, that's heartening to hear, but it, it's um, also you do – hear so often from young women that there is so much of their experience of going coming forward doesn't work as as, as well as that and you really hope that there's going to be um, more um, uh, willingness by anybody uh, who hears that complaint to to work with a victim um, you know it's monstrous it's monstrous and I endorse everything Ali, Ali says we, there's there's a lot of change needs to happen yet 11 past four. You'll be hearing more about that, I'm sure, on uh, Checkpoint. Uh, to this, uh, other big news today, Auckland Council's governing body has this afternoon voted unanimously to endorse, in principle, subject to consultation, a cost-sharing deal with the Crown to fund more than $2 billion of flood recovery and resilience works. It's uh, a 
cost-sharing agreement with council and government, different to the Christchurch earthquake where the government footed the bill to buy out red zone houses. So this includes Category 3 buyouts, $774 million to purchase an estimated 700 residential properties where there is an intolerable risk to life and it is not feasible to mitigate this risk. There are still around 100 families displaced in the Morawai community from uh, the floods, late Jan and Cyclone Gabrielle, including Caroline Bell Booth. Kia ora, Caroline. Kia ora, Wallace. Lovely to speak with you again. Good to have you here. A fairly sizable package, wouldn't you say? But what does this mean in real terms for you, your whānau, your community? Well, um, Muriwai is currently uh, starting to receive some calls from council in light of the uh, geotechnical studies being produced. And we do understand that a number of homes will be, or households will be able to return to their homes. Um, That, of course, leaves a number of households still waiting to hear early next week on what our categorisation will be. And if, as you pointed out, you happen to be a Category 3 household, um, you will then know that you can partake voluntarily in the buyout scheme. What we don't understand yet, firstly, is uh, what the nature of that buyout is. We don't understand the calculation that hasn't been shared with us yet. Right. Nor do we understand how long that buyout process will be and indeed the, the with whom we engage and how long that process may take. Gosh, and those are very big questions because you want to know the actual calculations. For example, uh, Ellie Jones, will it be um, CV related? Will it be market value related? But Ellie, you've been through all this, uh, albeit in a very different way. Yeah, I'm shaking my head. I mean, this is not rocket science and this is not new. I mean, the fact, Caroline, that you haven't been given some of this information, uh, just I'll stop speaking now because I might swear. Um, I know that in Christchurch, um, you know, after after the earthquakes here, and, and it was a different situation, right? So the government went in. There were around 5,000 homeowners that accepted the government buyout in the red zone, and there was about $12 million paid to homeowners for that. And the reason it's so different figures-wise is that uh, homeowners had two options. They could either um, receive a 2007 so it was quite an old valuation on their home. Uh, they could receive that valuation for the land and house and be gone, or they could fight it out with the insurance company for the property and take just the land value from the government. So, um, And it took a while, Caroline, for them to get that information out of the government too. Tell me where yeah. you're at in, in uh, the process as far as liaising and discussing. Who's your intermediary? intermediary? Where are you getting the information from? Well... We don't know. We don't know with whom we will engage through this process. We don't understand if there will be an entity similar to Sarah as Christchurch experience. Um, and nor do we understand, as I mentioned, the valuation process or calculation on our um, homes. Furthermore, what we do share in common with Christchurch is the um, extreme mental health strain that our community is under. We're now 193 days into this journey. And unlike Christchurch and unlike a number of the flooding victims in and around Auckland, most houses, 80% of the houses in Muriwai are currently still out, out of their homes, 
have been displaced as a result of risk. So insurance companies were very swift to say, oh, despite the fact that you are fully insured, your house is not damaged, your land is not damaged, and thusly we have nothing to pay out. So we have, if you can imagine the Christchurch journey without insurance, that is our current financial and emotional Disposition. David, Carolyn, can I just clarify one point of what you just said? Is are you say there's no EQ, there is still EQC um, commitment as as regards your land? Is that right or not? Because of the it risk, it depends on the damage to your land. As you may be familiar, EQC only relates to the eight meters around your house. Yes. Um, so for some properties, which are you know large, um, large properties. Uh, if or if damage happens sort of on the boundary and not close to your uh, um, house structure, it's not clear whether EQC applies at all yet. And what body has said has made these these assessments? You know, what compels you to 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 keep out that civil defence or or who? I'm sorry, I don't understand your question. Who's um, keeping us out of our homes? Yeah, you yeah who, who says it's at, it's, at, it's at risk and therefore you can't enter it? Currently, through the placarding process, um, which the council manages, right. and what we're stepping into is sort of a, a change of regime, if you will. It goes from the immediate risk, which a placarding process refers to, into long-term risk, which is categorisation. So within categorisation, they're looking at the risk of within the scale of 100 years. Now, if you look at Muriwai, in the last 60 years, as a result of two disasters, we've lost four people. So on average, one person every 15 years dies from a landslip in Muriwai, which I have to say is a lot more than sharks. Yeah. Just one final point, uh, can I say, Karen? One thing you have highlighted is the absolute fragility of those affected, Murawai and elsewhere, in terms of mental health. You've said that people are now at breaking point. Yes, very much so. And when we refer to breaking point, Wallace, I am using that term quite euphemistically. Um, we have a dire uh, mental health situation out here. Basically, we remain six months later in fight or flight. We're still in psychologically the first phase of trauma, which means we are not safe. And every um, psychiatrist, psychologist, counsellor that has come to our community and helped to um, assist us through this journey has categorically said there is no way that you can actually start psychologically healing from the trauma until you feel safe. And what that equates to in fundamental terms is you are in your new home. So either you have restored your old home and you are back in your house, and then when you feel safe, your body will start to be able to process that trauma. Your brain will be able to process that trauma. We've got to move on, but we'll be in touch. We'll keep in touch with you, Carolyn, uh, and others in the area to see how you're faring through these discussions. But for Wallace, now, can I just very quickly, I know you've got to move yeah. on, but look, can Caroline please get in touch with the National Reference Group? It's called the NRG. It works with EQC. It's a community-based lived experience group that is there to help the claimants. Now, there's learned experience that we've fed into that. I'm not part of the group now, but please get in yeah. touch with the NRG, all right? They are people like you, some of them still fighting 11 
seven years on, right? I know it's not a competition, but please try and okay. follow that up if you can. <laughs> Caroline, Kia ora. Okay, well, thank you. All the okay. best. That's Caroline Balbooth oh. there. Uh, one of the, well, up to 100 families displaced in uh, Murawai there. But that big announcement today, $2 billion of flood recovery and resilience work uh, announced uh, this afternoon. The panel with uh, Ali Jones and David Slack. I'm Wallace Chapman. Nice to be with you. The age-old saying, advice, saving advice, many New Zealanders grew up on. Put 10% of your wage away for a rainy day. But these days, 10%? Not realistic for many. Consumer NZ's latest survey found 65% of Kiwis save less than 5% of their income and some... Have no savings. With us is Consumers New Zealand Head of Research and Advocacy, Gemma Rasmussen. Kia ora, Gemma. Kia ora. This from Consumer NZ's latest sentiment tracker results. What have, what have you found? What we've seen over the last two years is the amount of money that people are able to push away is reducing uh, pretty significantly significantly and within that 65% are people who actually have not put anything away or are going into the red um, and and what we're really hearing from people is that with the rate in which things are going up whether that's rent, mortgage, electricity, um, you know fruit and vegetable has gone up 22% in a year wages are not keeping up and so people are really struggling to cover all the essentials and then have a little bit extra to to put aside. Yeah, I was thinking about this, David Slack, you know, putting anything away, uh, whoever you are, but but of course, particularly those who are, um, you know, um, struggling with um, their smaller salary coming in. It's just so tough, whichever way you dice it. You do see it in reverse. I'm not by any means suggesting that people um, are not having an enormous problem here, but you do see young people who come out of, say, a student life and going into paid employment, if they're canny, they go on living as they were as students and find that margin for saving in that way. It's what you get habituated to. What we're seeing right now is the reverse of that, the the harsh reverse of that, that what you're habituated to, you want to keep up with, but the inflation is is cutting away at it. And so the notion that there would be anything uh, spared to save uh, clearly is really hard. But you you can reconfigure your life notionally so that that can happen. Um, but that's not at all easy, and, 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 and I don't mean at all to be flip about it, but... There's a kind of a challenge here now, and it's because I kind of get very excited uh, about the the larger questions about the the climate crisis. That the only way I see through to fixing that is degrowth, which advocates that you change the way we consume and live. And it's mm. it's a very large proposition, and you're asking people to very much change their lives altogether. But actually. Um, and, and I want to recommend uh, Jason Hinkle's book, um, Less Is More, as if a, you're able to, as, as a if good you're starting able point. To. Well, you see, but the argument is that the way we live is, is wrong, and and it is possible to live a, a simpler life, and and thereby find a more tenable way of going. Now, I'm talking about large changes, and that's not going to happen yeah. right now. Well, but but if we want, but 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 I've lived long enough now sure. to see that this kind of tension goes on forever. And if we want people to have better, contented, more contented lives that are not um, undermined by the whole uh, consumption machine, 
that puts us in, in this kind of position. That's the kind okay. of large change I'm looking for. Stay there, Gemma. Uh, David Slack here, uh, looking at the big picture here. Ellie Jones. Look, I tend to agree with David. I do. Um, we used to have chickens before we moved into the house bus, and now there's not really anywhere for them, fortunately. Uh, so we, and I loved having chickens because this was even before eggs went up to more than a dollar each. And it's little things like that, and but it's how to care for them. It's understanding they're easy to have. It's understanding that you can have them in a, a city environment, but no roosters. And I think some of those really basic skills, and I know I'm going to sound Hang like on. my mother's mother. Is this here, realistic stuff? You're yes, looking at a park and you're looking at a suburb, and no, you, you, are, you are here advocating chickens? Absolutely. They are delightful. It takes a bit of effort, but boy, it's rewarding and saves money. And it's not only that one thing, though, Wallace, and I think that's what David's talking about as well. Um, You know, I've started, well, not started, I buy a lot of secondhand clothes because you can get some really good secondhand clothes because I'm aware of adding to my wardrobe and spending a lot of money. I just think there are things that we need to teach our kids, even cooking as well. All right, David, I'll go back to Gemma on this. So, Gemma, you've heard David advocating degrowth and Ellie Jones advocating chickens. Um, (laughs) Your thoughts? (laughs) Look, I would agree that to an extent, yes, living a simpler life, stripping back, just the essentials, it's going to help. But I think we are facing a fundamental problem in New Zealand where people are actually struggling to cover the basics, cover the essentials. So we're talking about rent. We're talking about am I going to buy fruit and vegetables or am I going to buy... Uh, food that isn't nutritious but is going to fill my tummy. It's very here and now stuff rather than will I get chickens, will I get a laptop, things like that. And I think that part of this is related to the country that we're living in. We're seeing excessive profits um, in the energy sector, banking, um, historic excessive profits in the supermarket industry. I think that there's lack of competition when it comes to things that people have no choice in if you want to have a warm home, if you want food on the table, if you want to have a bank account. And I think that these market structures really need to be looked at. And yes, absolutely, strip it back. But if those fundamental issues are at play, it makes it really hard for people. Yes, Can and I as ask, an intermediate oh, sorry, point, David. I would really love to see that commissioner um, coming to, to coming to uh, coming to grips with the supermarket sector and, and achieving what the the inquiry hopes it, it might do. I absolutely agree that, and and I don't for a moment want to imply that I'm scolding people for not living uh, thriftily enough. I, what I'm talking about is hoping that we can make a larger scale change in the long run because that's where you will finally address this kind of problem. But I utterly agree. Um, there are, there's imbalance now that could be redressed, and I would love to see that as, as, as uh, an intermediary step. Final thought, Ellie. I just wanted to know if you Sorry, could yes. change one thing now, if there was something mm-hmm. that you thought would make a reasonably significant difference and that you know, could mm-hmm. be done, what, what would you do? So I think that food for people is such a primary concern. We actually looked at renters and for them, they are more worried about the cost of food than they are for rent because they are living in the day, not the week. And I think if we had some transparency around what suppliers were selling food to supermarkets for and then how much of a markup the supermarkets were actually then putting on, I think that would be great because when you get to the supermarket, you have no idea what goes into the price of that item. And if the supermarkets could have some accountability and us knowing how much they are actually taking um, in terms of profit, that, that would 
that would uh, bring the price of food nice down. Nice to have you here, Gemma Kiora. Uh, that's uh, Consumer NZ Head of Research and Advocacy uh, uh, on, uh, yeah, that people just don't have the savings anymore. Uh, someone says here, oh, Ellie. Check your privilege. Oh, I know, I know. Not, oh, look, it's not, not about I, privilege. That's bollocks. Not no, it's, everyone it, can have chickens. A lot of people already oh. are on the bare minimum. Try working in the health system right now and managing chickens or trying to live on what we earn. For degrowth to work, everyone has to do it. Another one says cars make people poor. That's rubbish just to make degrowth work. Everyone has to do it. I think that if a number of... Do not let... What's the saying? Do not let perfection get in the way of good. I mean, this is ridiculous. If there are a number of people that did it and then others did it and it took a bit of time, then that's what we should be doing. Oh, look, I do accept that what, I'm, you know, what degrowth contemplates is, is very substantial um, you know, uh, structural change. And so you can't... Um, you, you do need to have some kind of political and popular will to it. Um, but, but um, you know, the, it's, um, it's just frustrating that forever we keep having the same smaller arguments when there are actually larger ones that need You're to be prosecuted. You're looking at the larger picture, yeah. Someone says, I used to be a saver. Now we have almost run out of savings. We have chickens. We only buy second-hand clothing. It's really tough at the moment. I don't think people are just wasting their money. But that's quite a nice um, thought to explore, perhaps, uh, panellists, before we get to the headlines. Um, Do we need to hark back to a simpler life where we can? When you darned your socks, when you made your own bread... only in the sense that you know, I, I want to reiterate this. I'm not so scolding people for not no. not being effective at this, and I utterly agree that in in the if, if the life you're living right now is is already tough, then that extra pressure is going to leave you with no room to move. You it, it needs to be larger change for it, for it to mean something. But um, that other point uh, was it you, Ali, saying that a car? No, no, it was Jenna was saying that a car will make you poor. No, that was, oh, a, no, te- was, that a, was a listener. A texter. I absolutely agree with that and and um people are compelled to use those cars because we've, we've, we've made urban sprawl in the way we have and we haven't provided abundant public transport and if we could start doing that to go back to Elliot's point about uh, rail you know if we stopped asking for a return on those systems public transport and rail in the way um, sorry um, because the, we don't ask for that return on those roads we might actually then you'll be getting your apples with apples. So, mm. but again, I'm back to talking about larger scale change. But if we're talking about making um, you know change, you can see today actually throwing on more public services is a start that you can do bit by bit, ro- route by route. So there's that. Yeah, no, got it. Yeah, very good. Uh, now, just uh, sneaking in a bit of feedback before we uh, move to the headlines here. Um, I used to love the Southerner. Absolutely fantastic way of travelling. Um, unfortunately, in New Zealand, we look at a service like the Southerner and say, well, that's not working, let's cancel it, as opposed to working out why it's not working and fixing it, says Jay. Sue says, my mum used to put me, early teens, on the Southern down to Timuka and the school holidays to stay with the best friend whose daughter was my bestie. I always recall stopping at Sheffield and seeing all the railway cups <laughs> and saucers lined up on the counter, ready for the arrival of the train. <laughs> Raspberry Slice remains one of my favourite sweets to this day. And my husband and I are big train fans and have travelled the coastal Pacific and trans-alpine many times. Fantastic, loving your company we have. Ali Jones and David Slack with me this afternoon, Thursday afternoon on the panel. It's time for Headlines. 
Thank you, Wallace. I actually just gave my mum a call. Didn't we go on the Southerner? And she said, we did, we did. But uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the good old Southerner Marama. Oh, dear. Okay, here we go. Here's our headlines. The Christchurch District Court Public Gallery clapped as brothers Danny and Roberto Jazz. Here's my mum. She's ringing me back to tell me about the, the, the Southerner. <laughs> mum, I'm on the radio. I can't talk. Oh. Were you remembering where we went on the Southerner? <laughs> Uh, I thought we went down to Middlemarch for a trip, but it might have been in that, an excursion train. It oh, it might yeah. have been. Okay, there we go. Oh, Could have been kia ora, kia ora, marama's <laughs> mum. Welcome to the panel. Lovely to hear your voice. Mum, you're on the radio. Oh, she hung up. Okay. Oh, there you go.